Welcome to The Longest Road with yours truly, Josh Williams. This isn't your average everyday sports show. No, this is a sports storytelling show. Growing up as a kid, my grandfather would share stories upon stories of these larger-than-life sports figures. Muhammad Ali walking into McDonald's. Elvis Presley walking out of the Doubletree. Watching Barry Sanders and Walter Payton in person. And even seeing Dick Buckus hit someone so hard that he killed a man. I was enamored. His best friend, neighbor, was a former NFL player who took my grandfather to NFL alumni events all the time, where these moments and stories became lessons that these larger-than-life figures are people too. He once told me, instead of asking for an autograph, to ask them a question. These questions are now the bridge from larger-than-life to everyday you and I. And just like my grandfather did with me, I want to share these stories with you. So ladies and gentlemen, the journey starts now. Welcome to The Longest Road with Josh Williams. Today, I'm joined by a special guest here on The Longest Road. Today, we are joined by another fine reflection of the word cornerstone. We are joined by South Bend Cubs president, Joe Hart. He took over the team in 2012, and here we are almost nine years later and $10 million spent. And there's something to be very, very proud of here in South Bend. Joe, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us here on The Longest Road. Not a problem. Certainly appreciate it. Enjoy the opportunity to talk a little bit about baseball. And quite honestly, just to thank our fans of Michiana and the region that have come out and supported us. It's hard to believe I've been here eight seasons already. I mean, it's going to be year nine. What's the saying go? You know, um, time flies when you're having fun. So obviously we're having a lot of fun here in South Bend. And you're having a lot of fun. That's the most important thing. I think that's... That's something that a lot of our our listeners and even people here in South Bank can understand and relate to is you've turned this place, Four Winds Field, into a place where people can come, have fun, have a good time, forget all of that. What's that been like? Well, and I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm a baseball guy. I love the fact that, you know, we have a great baseball team there. But at the end of the day, we're selling we're selling uh, the environment. And at the end of the day, I'm in the business of making memories. You know, you don't typically remember the score of the game when you went, you know, a week or two weeks ago. But you remember, especially, you know, if you have kids or grandkids, getting them getting a foul ball or being able to have the kids run the bases after the game, good fireworks show. So really, that's what we're in the business of doing is giving people a chance to get away from the daily grind Go out and have a good time. And, you know, our statistics show us that only 15% of the people that go to the ballpark are diehard baseball fans. So that's wow. why so much of what we do is about the other things. Like when we created, you know, the Tiki Hut for, you know, the adults to go out and have a good time. You know, we got sure. the inflatables for kids, the splash pad, the playground. Um, for us, it was just trying to create that environment that you can say, you know what, I don't like baseball at all, but I love going to Four Winds Field. And that's, and that's what we strive for each and every year. And you you hit it on the head when we first started talking that you are a baseball guy through and through. Uh, you grew up 100 miles northwest of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, yeah. right? Uh, home of the Little League World Series. What was that like growing up in, I believe it was Emporium, PA? Yeah, Emporium, Pennsylvania, a town of about 1,900 people. Uh, it was one of those towns that had one traffic light, no wow. fast food restaurants. Um, <laughs> we had a movie theater until I think I was in third or fourth grade, and it closed. A bowling alley till right around that same time. So it was... It was really one of those small hometowns. Like, you know, if, if I did something and got in trouble on one end of town, my parents knew it before I got back home. So it was definitely <laughs> one of those towns. But great experience. And obviously, I, I love sports. I played football, basketball, and baseball. So I was doing uh, athletics year-round. 
Um, but when I was 12, I actually had the opportunity to go to a baseball camp and it was down in Williamsport, uh, and it was actually kind of coincided with the Little League World Series. So as part of the camp, like before um, they actually started the Little League World Series, we actually got to play some games on that main field. And I remember I got to pitch on that field. It was just an amazing field. You know, you're 12 years old, and you know, and then you get to watch some of the games of the kids that are actually participating. It was just a, such a cool Had experience. Had a highlight for it you was. at that point. I mean, point, you know, yeah. as a 12-year-old, it was Phenomenal! No, oh my goodness! And you know, to the point that when it's on every year and it's on TV, I, I find myself watching it, and I'm just amazed at kids today, like how good the talent is. And you know, it's half those kids look like they're old enough to drive there. You know, it's uh, or, or as big as me, but it's it's a lot of fun to watch, and you just see the joy in those kids' faces. You know, obviously they say you know, um, you know, the joy is winning, but the agony of defeat too. I mean, it's I think kids learn a lot of lessons through through sports and competition. And at age 12, you learned a, a pretty tough lesson yeah. uh, to start out with. Um, your mother, Kathy, was diagnosed with breast cancer at yeah. that point it in It actually, life. Um, all that took place, literally, it was about a, a couple days or a week before I was supposed to go to camp. Wow. Um, so it was one of those things, you know, you as a 12-year-old, you know, at that age, you're still pretty young. You know, you, you probably don't really know what's going on, right. um, even though, you know, you're told that your mom's not, you know, uh, doing real well. Um, but she's going to have surgery. And, you know, I remember, I still remember to the day she sat down and said, you need to go to the camp, have a good time. I'll be fine, you know, and we'll go from there. And uh, ultimately, you know, that was the case. I went to camp and, you know, I remember she had gotten out of um, the hospital uh, at one point, um, you know, and I had, a, I remember I had a baseball game that she came to and I had probably one of the best games of my life. I ended up hitting two home runs. And it's a funny thing now to sit back and think about the memories you remember. Again, it's about making memories. I right. remember her being there. Uh, and it was ironic enough that we were, we were playing out of town. So it wasn't in our hometown. And I remember, you know, it was probably an hour drive and they got there a little late. So she missed my first at bat and I hit a home run in my first at bat. So she didn't see oh. it. So I hit a second one later on. So it's funny. It still gives me goosebumps <laughs> just thinking about it today. And, you know, 12 years old and you're just a kid and you got plenty of stuff going on. And, uh, yeah. And, and luckily at that point in time, she was, uh, able to overcome it and, you know, and, uh, and then I just continued on and I get older go to college and graduate. And then I start my career in baseball. It seems like though, Right around that time period when you made that distinction to go ahead and be a three-sport athlete yeah. going into high school, um, what was that like? Because that seems like you built the foundation to really surround yourself with team, community, and uh, a kind of a standard, if you will, of yeah. team there. How did that help you get through those times? Well, I think the biggest thing is one, you had great friends and teammates that you could rely upon that would help you. Um, you know, not only your your friends that you play with, but your friends' parents uh, would certainly help you out. Like if you know, my mom had to go uh, for treatment or something like that. You know, I could always stay with one of my friends, and you know, and their their family. And I think that's one of the great things about being from such a small town. Everybody knew everybody, and. You know that was back in the day and age that you know everybody helped everybody out. It was it was truly that small community feel, and um, yeah, it. Uh, I look fondly on those days. I mean, it was you know my best sport by far. I was by far uh, a better baseball player than anything else. But I was the quarterback of our high school football team. Attaboy. I played basketball, um, but baseball was was definitely my true love and passion. And it's funny as you know of all the sports that I played, the one I missed the most 
is football. There was nothing better than going out on a Friday night. Oh, yes. You know, everybody in town is, you know, it's kind of like, not quite like the movies, you know, Friday Night Lights. I mean, not everything in town closed in the place. We didn't have the facilities like they have on on the TV show. But um, just, you know, you're out there under the lights, 7 o'clock kickoff and playing with your buddies and, you know, win or lose. You know, it's just one of those things. It was it was awesome to the point that, you know, you kind of take it for granted and uh, like, man, I wish I could go back to those days. And even, you know, baseball, I mean, it was one of those, as a small town, you know, I was, was one of the better baseball players in our community. But, you know, you're a, you're a big fish in a small pond. And then... When I went to West Virginia University, I tried to walk on. I got recruited by a lot of Division two and three schools, but I'd like to think I was somewhat smart enough to think that, hey, I'm going to go walk on at West Virginia and play for a big school, or if not, I'm just going to get my degree in sport management. Um, you know, As it worked out, I ended up hurting my arm, had shoulder surgery, didn't end up making the team, but there I was. I got my degree, and I graduated in four years. So I like to think I was smart enough to go that route. Probably it just worked out that way. Um but yeah, I mean, I I have no regrets, and you know, I had friends that played at smaller schools, and you'd hear the stories, and a little bit of you wish, like, man, I wish I would have continued playing baseball. But still, there's nothing nothing better than running out on a Friday night and playing some football under the lights. You got to extend your baseball life, if you will. Yeah. You know, all athletes, whether you play football, baseball, or whatever, you you have an expiration date, yeah. and you have found a way to extend that expiration date well on to whenever you want to decide. Yeah. Uh, when did that decision, though, to transfer over from I'm going to focus all of my energy on my talents here with the sport and go on to the executive side of wanting to manage the sport? When did that decision come? Did it come before West Virginia or at West Virginia? I think it came while I was at West Virginia. I mean, I ultimately did my first internship in baseball between my junior and senior year. Um, I, I did my internship in Buffalo, New York for the Buffalo Bisons at the time. They were the AAA for the Cleveland Indians, and Buffalo was probably known as one of the top two or three uh, well-run and respected yeah, minor sure. league baseball teams. Um, and that was that was actually my first time going to a minor league game is when I started there. So no where we grew up, you know, Buffalo was two hours away. Pittsburgh was three hours away. I never even really knew about minor league baseball because we'd always just, we went as a family, we'd go to Pittsburgh. So... When I went to a first minor league game, I'm like, wow, that's kind of unique. And, you know, I did that summer. And then I'm like, I, I want to try to make a career in this. And, you know, I've only ever worked at the minor league level. I've never worked at the major leagues. And, you know, here I am 26 years in, and this will be season nine in South Bend. And I really appreciate um, what we do and what we're able to accomplish at the minor league level. I think people at times think, ah, it's just minor leagues. But I look at it as, you know, we're able to do a lot of great things in smaller communities, try to create that community pride. Again, it's not always about winning or losing. At the big league level, it's so much of it is. People ask all the time, like, hey, if you have a great team uh, or if you have a bad team, does it affect your attendance? And really, at the end of the day, it doesn't. Don't get me wrong. I love when we're winning. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't because, again, you're selling the experience. You're not selling an outcome of a game. Because at the minor level, I have no control of anything that happens between the white lines. Right. They're Chicago Cubs uh, minor league players. the Chicago Cubs coaching staff. So they dictate that. So, you know, you could have a terrible team, but, you know, if you still have the great fireworks and great customer service, people still want to come out and have a good time. No place better to be than Four Winds Field on a night where it's 75, 80 degrees, sun's out, kids can go out and play in the splash pad. It's Something hard to better. argue that. Yeah, there's no doubt. It's hard to argue that, but it's also hard to argue that you haven't been one of the most instrumental pieces and not only saving a minor league franchise, but also revitalizing a city that was in a dismal state when you and Andrew Berlin came in 2011, 2012. 
What has it been like? And I guess, you know, more so, I guess I'm more interested to find out what were the talks like in 2011 when you and Andrew are sitting down, you guys are looking at the big picture here, what we want to accomplish. What were those talks like between each other? Well, initially, the first thing is I need to say is out of all my years working on baseball, he's the most amazing owner I've ever worked for. You talk about a guy that's all in, um, believes in the South Bend community. He doesn't live here. He lives north of Chicago and Glencoe. Yeah. But really, South Bend has become a second home for him. So he was all in. He committed a lot of his own money into a ballpark that's a city-owned asset. But initially, the conversations were is, let's approach this from the fan standpoint. Let's look at it from our standpoint. What do you want when you go to a game? You know, what would your wife want when you go to a game? And at that time when we moved here, uh, my kids were, I think Calvin was three, Caroline was probably a year and a half, and my wife would be the first to She had no desire going to a ballpark where your kids are expected to sit in a seat for three straight hours. Not going to happen. So that's how we came up with, let's create the fun zone. Let's create the splash pad. Let's create these community little pockets inside the ballpark. And that's how we really started to build it as, we don't want to sit in a seat for three straight hours. The kids don't want to sit in a seat for three straight hours. So if it becomes a hindrance for mom or dad to try to take their kids to a ball game, guess what? They're not going to go. But you know what? If you can let them play and run around and play in the splash pattern and the inflatables, guess what? The kids are now begging mom and dad to bring them back to the ballpark. Mom and dad don't mind going because it's safe, it's clean, it's fun entertainment, you know, and you get fireworks and giveaways. And so those were the things that we really looked at is, you know, what can we do to really make it a family friendly uh, ballpark? So that first year, we took out the aluminum bleacher seats beyond the dugouts on the first and third base side and put in theater style seats. Again, it's about the fan comfort. Um, you know, we added the splash pad. Again, what better place to be on a nice warm day in Michiana? The inflatables were such a cool thing because you got kids running around playing. It's funny now we joke, you know, on occasion we get uh, some complaints, kind of tongue-in-cheek complaints where the parents are like, you got too much stuff to do. I can't get my kids to watch the ball game. Uh, and you know what? I can handle those complaints. Um, those and it's just been, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun to really turn it around. I mean, that first year when I got here, it was my first day in South Bend, I think, was July or January 29th, so you know, less than 75 days from opening day, and a franchise, quite honestly, was struggling mightily, and it needed a lot of help, and it was kind of like drinking water through a fire hose. It was just nonstop. Let's just run as hard as we can. So that first year, I look back, and there's a lot of things I don't remember. It was a blur, because everything was, you just had to put your head down and run and, and tackle things one thing at a time, And but again, it's... I appreciate the community because we came out and said we were going to do a lot of things. I think Andrew making the investments to the physical changes of the ballpark let people know that, you know what, hey, here's an owner that's committed. Uh, He's putting his money where his mouth is. You know, we signed a 20-year lease with the city so the people knew the team was going to be here and there was not that threat of it leaving, you know, towards the latter part of the old ownership. There was that talk of it leaving town. And I think that was the biggest thing. And then it was up to us to execute and do what we said we were going to do. So that first year we really tried to do – identify two or three things and do them well and let the fans see that, okay, these guys are serious what they do. And for us, the name of the game was that first year was make the physical improvements. Customer service needed to improve dramatically um, because we also realized people have a lot of options to either spend their money or spend their time doing things. So we needed to make sure that they felt ultimately that they were being taken care of when they come to the ballpark. And then the other thing was, the biggest thing probably was, uh, in addition to customer service, was improving the food and beverage. Um, 
when I got here, that was the first thing I did. I had the chef say, I said, cook me everything that we do during the season, and I want to taste all it. Um, they were some of the worst hot dogs I've ever tasted <laughs> in my life. They were, oh, no. They were, were they? They were, they were awful. And, you know, they're like, I said, well, why are we serving? Oh, well, they're the, they're the cheapest hot dog we can buy. Oh, no. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, it may be the cheapest that you can buy, but you're throwing away hundreds of them because nobody's buying them. So it doesn't do you any good. So what we did is, you know, um, we reached out and, you know, we did some research. And, again, we want the best for our fans. So the Baseball Writers of America um, were always surveyed. And the best hot dog in baseball was the Fenway Frank from the Red Sox. So we get our hot dogs to this day from the same company, KM Foods, um, out of uh, the Boston, Massachusetts area. They're shipped in, and we essentially sell the Fenway Frank at Four Winds Field because our fans, when they come, deserve the best. Yes, it's, for us to buy that hot dog, it's probably five times what the product cost when they were using the other one, but it wasn't a good hot dog. <laughs> and I'm, a, again, a baseball guy. There's no better time to eat a hot dog than when you're at a ballpark. Exactly. And Come on now. So for us, it was the best food we could get. Um, we needed to master having gr- warm food and cold drinks, and that was kind of our approach that first year. And that first year here, we did 189,000, um, which looking back now um, was pretty astonishing because in 2011 the team only drew 112,000. So we were able to take it up over 60,000 people. In one year, essentially not even hitting the ground running until the end of January. So, That's and then incredible. it just kept building and building, and then we get the Cubs in 2015. You know, and and going back to year one, uh, 1995, when the whole minor league career really started for you, mm-hmm. it, it seems like that right now where you're at is kind of you you're coming to full fruition of where you have been. And I mean by your experience in Florida throughout those minor leagues. I mean, yeah. you won, I believe it was executive the, yeah. in the year uh, in 2011, which, I mean, kind of preludes everything that happens yeah. now, right? Yeah. So how much of that experience, what did you learn about yourself, about your career, about what to do, how to take care of the community, how to take care of the team in Charlotte? Well, I think the biggest thing is when I was in uh, Florida, it was it was unique because it was a brand new team. It had been... So my team owner there was Cal Ripken Jr., which no for me growing up as a kid, he was my idol. Actually, my 11-year-old son is named Calvin, actually named after Cal Ripken. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, so it was literally two weeks after he was born, I got offered the job in Florida. So pick up, leave Nashville, Tennessee, move to Port Charlotte, Florida. And that was a brand-new startup. So they bought the team in Vero Beach and relocated it to Port Charlotte. So here I am getting the opportunity to launch a franchise. And the biggest thing was is, just be out in the community. Say hello. Meet people. Listen to what they have to say. When they're at the games, go talk to people. Again, it's just, you know, I always look at it through the experience of what I want if I'm at a ball game. And that was that was how I approached it. And it was such a phenomenal experience in Port Charlotte because that was also kind of my first time to really kind of take uh, the ball and run with it, so to speak, and implement the things that I wanted to implement and do it the way I felt it needed to be. You know, up until that point, I'd been with a lot of mature franchises, AAA franchises, and bigger markets. Here, I was in a small market, um, but it was something cool and special. And I, you know, there's still people down in Port Charlotte that I still remain friends with, people I still talk to, and uh, it was a great experience. And really, that experience led me to be able to come to South Bend because, you know, obviously South Bend wasn't a brand new franchise, but it was almost like the sense you needed to tear it down and start from ground zero and 
and and bring it back up and create that excitement. You know, I'll never forget when it was announced uh, in the uh, South Bend Tribune here, like, hey, South Bend, or at this time, South Bend Silverhawks, Andrew Berlin is named as new team president. And you can always read, you know, it was the online copy, and you can always read fan comments. There's one, I'll never forget, my wife and I, uh, it was a Saturday morning, you know, uh, we had just woken up, we're reading the comments uh, on the computer, and there was one guy that said, great. How much better franchise is this going to be? We got some idiot moving from Florida to South Bend in January. Not a very <laughs> smart move. And I still remember this to this day. I wish I knew who that guy was um, because that was kind of my motivation, too, wow. when I got here was, you know what? I'm going to show you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. And that's and that's what it was is getting here, assembling a staff that had the same passion that I had and that Andrew had. And for us, this is this truly is a passion. For me, it's not a job. Um, and, you know, it's it's a great experience. I mean, my office is a ballpark. Yeah. You know, if it gets stressful in my office, I walk out and I go sit there and watch the grass grow for 10 or 15 minutes. And, you know, and that's that's the coolest thing about it. And, again, I was talking to somebody earlier today why we do what we do. And it's when you see that family or those kids walk out at the end of the night with a smile on their face and they high five you. I mean, that that's, that's awesome. And I get to live that through my own kids' lives because, you know, they go out to the ballpark all the time as well. And, you know, they think it's their own little playground now. I'll take them in on a, on a day in which we don't have a game and they're like, hey, can you turn on the splash pad? Hey, can you turn on all the inflatables? So they kind of have their own little special thing. But <laughs> Being able to share that with, with my beautiful. kids and family is is pretty special. But, yeah, Port Charlotte was awesome. Having the opportunity to work for, you know, my hero and, and a legend in, in Cal Rickpin was, was pretty special as well. That's a pretty incredible mentor to kind of help guide you along the way, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that he was instrumental in helping you yeah. kind of... It's a guy you don't things. say you're going to take the day off, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't right. take many days off when you work for Cal Rickpin <laughs> Jr., that's for sure. Um but it was it was it was a, it was a great experience, and you know now, like I said, it's going to be year nine in South Bend, and it's it's a tremendous community, a lot of support. So uh, let me ask you this: If you were to go ahead, and I hit, you don't mean to put you on the spot, sure. but if you were to go ahead and put together Joe Hart's Mount Rushmore of people yep. that have built you into where you are now, yep. who would you put up there? Ooh, um, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, one, obviously. Uh, my mom and dad would be right at the top. Um, you know, it's, you know, we talked about my mom, um, getting cancer when I was 12. Uh, unfortunately when I was 19, I had just gone back to school for my sophomore year of college. My father passed away, uh, in a house fire. Um, so, you know, here I am, you know, at this point when I graduated from college, my mom was living in Maryland. I had moved, uh, all around. I was out in California. But when I got back to Florida, her cancer had come back. Ultimately, she passed away. It's been about seven years now. You know, so here I am. I'm in my upper 30s. Both parents have passed away. Um, but I just kind of got that work ethic from both of them. You just go to work, treat people with respect. So first and foremost, my parents were number one. Um, and there were two other people that were very helpful when I first got my jobs in baseball. A guy by the name of John Wiedemann when I was in Buffalo. Um, he was the the, the head of the department that I worked in there and just great mentor for me. Um, when then I went to Harlingen, Texas and worked for a while, a guy by the name of Mark O'Brien, again, just kind of took me under his wing. And, you know, for me, it was being in this industry when I, I always try to help people that reach out and say, hey, I'm trying to get in sport management. What's the best route to get in baseball? I will always take time out of my day to meet with these kids because it's kind of like giving back or passing it passing it forward. I had great people that did that for me, and if I wouldn't have had them, um, 
you know, I, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in now. Um, but then also, you know, along the way, I worked from some organizations um, that I learned how not to do things too. I mean, not only do you learn how to do things, but you know, I had some some bosses along the way that micromanage you. You know, I remember right. I was doing sales, and I remember one time, you know, I made a phone call to a family member. It might have been uh, my mom. I was living out in California at the time, and. You know, I hang up the phone and my sales manager comes over and says, uh, hey, that was a five-minute phone call. I know that was personal. Do you know how many sales calls you could have made in that time frame? What? And I was just like, man. So a lot of that's led me to how I manage my staff now. It's like I don't micromanage. We're all adults. We know what we need to do. As long as you get the job done, no problem. So, you know, I've had a lot of unique uh, opportunities. I had great mentors. I had people that I learned how not to do things from. Obviously, working for Cal and his organization, you just see a guy that went to work every single day, and you know you you put your shoes on and went and did what you needed to do. And then, obviously, um, working here and working for Andrew. I mean, obviously, he's had successful uh, business with owning Berlin Packaging, so he's been a great mentor. You know, I've been able to teach him things along the baseball side. He's been able to teach me things on the business side of things. Um, so it's it's been great. And you know, I sit back and at times I. You know, you have you have do. There's no doubt you have those days in the summer that they're just a grind, and you know you sit back, especially in late July, early August. You're like, why am I still doing this? It's day eight of a homestead. I've worked 13 hours a day the last eight days in a row. Um, so I think at times you forget to sit back, relax, and enjoy um, what you've been able to accomplish. And I think that was one of the things that as I've gotten older, I try to encourage the staff. Sit back and enjoy what you've been able to accomplish. Look at what we're doing in the community. I think last year was a perfect example. We hosted the Midwest League All-Star Game, something that hadn't been in our city in 30 years. And we made a point to make it a huge event. It wasn't just an event at the ballpark. We wanted the community to be involved. We wanted to put it on something that just show showcased our city to all those that came in from out of town. So we took it upon ourselves to do something good for the community, not just do something for our organization at Four Winds Field. It was a much bigger thing for us. Which, uh, by the way, you guys did an incredible job. Minus the concert debacle that first you know night. When, Forget the concert. Yeah, everything exactly. else. It was it, pageantry to its finest. It was, it was amazing. And, you know, again, it's something we told the staff, you know, afterwards. Sit back, take 10 minutes, sit at your desk, and reflect on what we just pulled off. You know, we're not a staff of 40 or 50 people. We're a staff of 19. Wow. And over, wow. Those, over those three days of all-star events... We had something like 14 different events we put on. Not all of them were public events. You know, we had tours set up at Notre Dame for the players and the executives from other teams. We did stuff at Rum Village with the zip lines and ropes course. We did East Race for the players and stuff. But then we had the All-Star Luncheon with Ryan Sandberg that had 1,000 people at it. Um, we had the Home Run Derby contest. We had the game itself. So we had about... You know, 13 or 14 different events we did in three days, and we had staff scattered everywhere. You know, you're getting two or three hours of sleep, but at the end of it, it's like, look what you did. You know, and then at the end of the season, we win the Midwest League Championship. We go 7-0 and in the playoffs, and now we have something cool for our city. You realize, though, putting on this All-Star game the way you guys did, it has been since probably the College Football Hall of Fame close, since downtown South yep. Bend has seen that type of activity yep. from their sports. So to bring something like that, is incredible. Is it going to be something that you are going to lobby to try and, and do more often of and, and create more of these events? Yeah, my guess is it'll probably be something we'll, we'll have the opportunity to bring back again in five or six years. It certainly won't be 30. Um, <laughs> it was hard to believe 30 years for it's a community. Uh, but I know, like, you know, we put up all the, the, uh, 
players and the executive staffs from uh, all the league. We stayed at the Aloft Hotel, and then we brought in you know five or six former Chicago Cub players with Andre Dawson, Fergie Jenkins, Leon Durham, Mitch Williams, and just guys that would come in and sign signed autographs tonight of the home run derby. And then you see them hanging out, and there were there was probably. 150 to 200 autograph seekers just hanging out downtown. It was just, it was cool it was to wild. see. It was, it was, it was insane. And I think the comment we got from a lot of the players that participated in the All Star Game was, "That was a big league event. A lot of these kids will never make it to the big leagues, so this may be the only All Star that game they get into." And we wanted to make it something memorable for you them. Guys did that and, absolutely, and that was the key. Is you know, unfortunately, I've been in this our league a long time, and we have some teams in our league that do a great job. We've had some teams that just do an okay job, and. For us, our organization, anybody that knows us, we're not about being okay. We're not about being just satisfactory. Our goal is to thrill and wow people, and if we don't do that, we fell short. So that that was our mission on this, and you know, a lot of players had a blast. And you know, looking back at the start of this with you and Andrew in, in 2011, getting going, and to where you guys are now, I think within that first year, what you guys saw merchandise sales increase by 700% with items being shipped to all 50 states yeah. and six different countries. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, when we went from the Silverhawks to the Cubs, it was it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. You guys had to know that you were onto something at that yeah, point. Yeah, because you know, typically as a minor league guy, I was always the the guy that said, "No, you got to have your own unique name. You don't ever take your major league club's name." Um, but here it made sense. Obviously, the Cubs are a national worldwide brand. But the other key component was is we needed a unique logo. So yeah, we may be the South Bend Cubs, but if you look at our bear head, it is it is very unique. It is South Bend's Cub. It is not the Chicago Cub bear head. You know, like uh, the Iowa Cubs in Des Moines. Right, they're the AAA right. team. Essentially what Iowa did is they took all the Cubs logos and just slapped Iowa across of it. We, we said from day one when we were working with our guy, it's got to be unique to South Bend, but it's got to look like it's part of the Cub family. So we get people now that... They'll come into the team store, they'll buy our stuff before they head out to spring training or before they go over to Wrigley because they know it's part of the family, but yet it's still South Bend's logo. And yeah, seven, 700% is a pretty big increase. Now, I, I remember December 4th, 19, or no, <laughs> December 4th uh, 2014 is when we announced and unveiled our logo and put our stuff on sale. Like the next couple of days, we essentially had to shut the office down. Because we needed everybody on staff to be a fulfillment center for all our online orders. I think we had 1,200 online orders within the first 48 hours. Oh, my goodness. So the cool thing about it was, and this is this is how we kind of differentiate our organization and the mindset of our staff. We were using all of our staff to do this. And one of our young account executives had been with us you know, maybe a year, maybe just a couple months. Um, we always challenge people to think different. How can we do something a little different and wow them? Sure. There was this one package he got, and as he's filling it, he comes into my office, and this is, I think, a Thursday of that week. He goes, hey, Joe, on Sunday, you and a couple of staff are going to San Diego for the baseball winter meetings. Here's an order that's going to San Diego. Do you want to take it with you and hand deliver it? And I said, absolutely. So here we go. Um, take the package with us. We we fly out to San Diego. We rent a car, put find the address, we GPS it, and we drive. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, San Diego, knock on the door, myself and the other three staff members. Young lady answers. I'm like, hi, I'm Joe Hart, president of the South Bend Cubs. I'd like to thank you for your order and, and deliver it to you. I mean, imagine this. She's from San Diego, ordered something from the South Bend Cubs, and here I am, the president of the team, knocking on her door. It was just it unheard was, of. It was unheard of. And 
the awesome part of it was is she's laughing, her fiance is in there laughing, and she goes, This is so awesome. But the only problem is it was a Christmas gift for my fiance and he's standing right here. <laughs> oh, but the no. cool thing was is Oh wow. He was from Mishawaka. He was a golf superintendent out in San Diego. So we sat there and we hung out with him for probably forty five minutes at their house just oh, talking. What? She took photos with us and it just created a unique story. But I say that saying, yeah, it was a cool experience. But it really started with Mitch McCamey, our young uh, account executive, who had the mindset of think different. He could have easily sealed it, put it in the UPS pile. It goes out. The people get it. They love their stuff. No big deal. But he was able to think outside the box, like, how can we make it a little more special? And that's what we challenge our staff to do uh, at the ballpark is look for that thing that's a little bit different. Didn't cost us any more to do that. We were going anyways, but it created a unique story. And you know it's something that after we left, they were probably calling their friends and telling them, like, we just had the most unique experience. And that's how our organization tries to be different from others. You guys have set yourself apart, and you especially. um, You deserve a very, very big pat on the back for everything that you've done so far. But I this is so far from being done. It's unbelievable yeah. to see that the peak is so far from yeah. yet to have been reached. And I know it. look what you guys have accomplished so far already. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, it's been awesome. It's But again, it starts with the staff. It started with Andrew. Andrew gave us the ability and the resources to do it um, and the support to do it. And But yet he helps drive us to think different. Think think a little bit outside the box. Don't Don't just do what everybody else does. Set yourself apart. Let everybody follow what you're doing instead of you being the the, the follower. And that and that's what's been that's been what's been refreshing here in South Bend. So as we get ready to kind of wrap up this show here in this interview, let's talk about uh, what uh, is the preview like for the South Bend Cubs 2020 season. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing. Um, April 9th is the home opener, so. Uh, my blood pressure's starting to rise. There's, there's <laughs> a lot of, there's, yeah, there's, once we hit January 2nd, it really starts to rise because you know the <laughs> countdown is on. But I think the biggest thing for us is obviously we get to celebrate last season's Midwest League championship. You know, on opening day, we're going to raise the championship banner, recognize uh, the team, and our manager, Buddy Bailey, is coming back. Um, and then for us, it's, you know, what new promotions can we do? How can we do things a little bit different? What concerts are we going to bring in for next year? Um, because, again, you're always trying to reinvent yourself. I mean, we, we don't want to be stale year after year. As good as last year was, you know, we kind of sit around for two or three days afterwards, celebrate, and then it's put it behind you. Now we're on to the next year, and we got to get better. And, again, really for us, it starts with customer service. It starts with the staff that we hire, the seasonal staff. We did something unique that, you know, I've never heard of done in the minor leagues, that when we won our Midwest League championship, we bought a total of 208 championship rings for seasonal staff. Wow. Um, because, again, we wanted them to wow. know, we can't do this without you. You are a part of the team. Yes, you may not be full-time. Yeah, you may only be seasonal. But you are extremely important part of our team, and we can't do it without you. So, you know, folks that had been with That's us or incredible. worked over half the season got a ring, and we, we did a dinner for them um, before Christmas. And it was just cool because they're part of our family. And, and again, I can't... You know, I'm at every single game. You know, our staff of 19 is there every single game. But when you come out as a fan, you know, our statistics show that you have about six or seven interactions with staff there. And most of the time, it's with our seasonal staff. So, you know, it starts with a parking lot attendant. Did he greet you? Is he smiling? Um, When you walk in, ticket taker, is he greeting, smiling, you know, welcome to the ballpark? That helps set the tone. And, uh, 
ultimately that's what most of the interaction is. So we are always striving to find the best people. I got to tell you, you know, growing up, uh, one of my best friends uh, was Sam Baxter and John Baxter was yep. the uh, former GM of yep. uh, the South Bend Silverhawks at the time. And hearing you talk about the interactions with you and the fans just reminds me of growing up and watching yep. that interaction between John and the community that he was trying to serve as well. Yeah. And it just seems like you've taken a kind of a, 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 a set stone right there and now have just ran with it and, and it's blown up into something so beautiful. Yep. And you have so much to be proud of, Joe. This well, is incredible. I, I certainly appreciate that. And again, there's a lot of people that have made it happen. The, the staff, the seasonal staff, the business community, um, folks like yourself, the media. I mean, again, it's, we came into it looking at it's not just us. We gotta we gotta rally as a, as a community and as a group to help make this thing successful. And that's what we've been able to do. And I'm the, you know I'm quick to point out, hey, it's not me. It's not just Andrew. It's all of us. And it's been fun to see you know you know record breaking crowds show up downtown and and uh, to think of where we are now is is a lot of fun. And because when I first graduated from college, I'll never forget. You know you know you're doing the typical thing. You're sending out <laughs> resumes trying to get that oh, job. Yeah. Back in, it would have been 1996 or 97, I had sent a letter to then the South Bend Silverhawks trying to get a job. And I got the thanks but no thanks letter. We're not looking. Did you get it from Kernan? Uh, No, because this would have been before Joe bought it. This would have been. This is the inception phase. This would have been probably the Allen Levin years when he owned it would be my guess. So it would have been 90. It would have been probably eight years into the, the franchise at that point. Wow. So it was funny. You know, and then you fast forward years later, I get the job. I come to South Bend. I was lucky enough to to win the um, from the chamber the forty under forty business person of the year. Yes. And I told that story about I remember just year you know years ago applying for a job here, and here it is how it's all turned full circle. And now South Bend is home for me. And you know it's amazing how the world works, but. Love what I do, love the community, and uh, it, it's it's just awesome to be here and and to do what we do is it's for the community. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure getting to talk with you and kind of get to know a little bit more about you and who you are. Um, it's going to be exciting watching the rest of this career of yours yeah. blow up here in South Bend. Hopefully, it stays here in South yeah. Bend. But if it does leave, hey, no one can blame you for that. What you've done is incredible. My pleasure. Certainly appreciate the opportunity, and thank you for what you do for us. And uh, and again, no, we're not planning on going anywhere. My wife and kids love the area. I love the area. This is home. Good. Leave those boxes unpacked. Yes, absolutely. You've been listening to The Longest Road with Josh Williams on podcast by Federated Media. If you'd like to recommend a guest, find the Contact Us link in the description and let us know. Until next time, thank you for listening, and I'll see you down The Longest Road. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.